Hey, welcome to this week's edition of our Indie Books International podcast, Marketing with a Book, where every week we have an opportunity to interview one of our authors or one of our guest uh, experts. And I'm thrilled to host uh, this week's episode because we have an amazing uh, Hall of Fame speaker and certified speaking professional, Bill Stainton, uh, out of Seattle. Uh, a friend of mine uh, of many years, I actually uh, admit that, and um, I think that uh, you will enjoy uh, his sharing today and the follow-on uh, questions and answers. But before we get into that, uh, we always do a bit of an author roll call, uh, and I'm going to start with uh, David uh, Goldman. Uh, David, would you just tell us, uh, um, I guess I just already gave away your name, uh, but if you just uh, reemphasize your name and where you're from and what your current book is or your next book is. Thank you, Mark. Uh, I'm, I'm David Goldman. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I wrote the book, The Road to Happiness, How to Get What You Really Want. And um, I'm working on a new book called Bringing in the Business. Nice. Thank you, David. Uh, Craig. Put me on mute. Uh, my name is uh, Craig Lawler. I'm in Chicago, Illinois, where it's 106 degrees this afternoon. I'm the author of Smooth Selling Forever. I put my clients on a course to predictable and sustainable sales results. And I'm talking with Henry later this week about my next book, uh, The Star Guide to Smooth Selling Forever. Oh, nice. Thank you, Craig. Good to see you. Uh, nice Chris, you. if you will unmute yourself and take the uh, talking stick. Hello, everybody. Hey, uh, does the microphone work? I think I just changed hardware. My name is Chris Hodges. I'm talking to you from Denver, Colorado. I'm the author of Noble Automation Now, How to Innovate, Motivate, and Transform Your Business with Intelligent Automation. Great, thank you, Chris. And Henry. Well, hi, I'm Henry DeVries, author of Marketing with a Book and uh, proud to be co-owner of Indie Books with Mark. So welcome everybody. And I'm in Oceanside, California. The name says it all. Thank you, Henry. What a novel concept, book and podcast title, the same. And uh, for those of you listening, I want to just uh, put a little pin light on. It's marketing with a book, not marketing your book. Uh, there actually is a great book by, I believe it's John Kramer, uh, 1001 Ways to Market Your Book. Um, it is so thick that it could be used as a weapon. Um, but for our purposes, we talk about marketing with a book because at Indie Books International, we believe that your book should be a gateway tool uh, to more uh, of the type of business you want. Um, yes, we believe in marketing your book uh, for sure, uh, but it's less about the book and more about uh, $5,000 coaching assignments or $10,000 keynote speeches. What specifically do you want your book to lead to? And that's an important part of our philosophy uh, and brand at, Indi at Indie Books uh, International. We also have a, uh, a guest here today and I'm gonna call on her and see if she's ready uh, to reveal herself, Thule Garner, my friend and Bill's friend from uh, Seattle too. Um, are you nearby and can share your book project? I have an unpublished book called Upgate, Update Your Geek Career. Um, my business has shifted a little bit, so it's still on the shelf, but uh, I'm mostly here to support Bill. Uh, uh, who cares about Bill? It's just good to see you. And, Likewise. Uh, in fact, maybe we should just interview you today instead of Bill, <laughs> and Bill could support you. Maybe next time. Okay, this maybe next day. time. Uh, good to see you, Tuli. Likewise. 
Well, it is my uh, distinct pleasure and honor to introduce my friend, uh, Bill Stainton. He is a CSP, a certified speaking professional uh, designation uh, given or bestowed by the National Speakers Association. He also is um, a CPAE, uh, which essentially means he's in our Hall of Fame. He's one of the best of the best. And let me just tell you a little bit about Bill. Uh, Bill Stainton is a 29 Emmy Award winner and Hall of Fame keynote speaker. His primary topics are innovation, creativity, and breakthrough thinking. Bill helps forward-thinking leaders and their teams turn creativity into money through his keynotes, workshops, coaching, and leadership uh, retreats. And as a mentor to speakers at all levels, from beginners to fellow Hall of Famers, Bill helps them structure their message to make it uh, unforgettable. And on a personal note, and I hope he might uh, shed some insight into this, on a personal note, uh, there's maybe no one in the world who knows more about the Beatles than Bill Stanton. Um, Bill, <clears throat> good to have you with us. I'm going to let you take it away. And after your uh, presentation, we'll do a little Q&A. That sounds good. Thanks, Mark. Boy, you sure know how to raise the bar, uh, which frankly, I don't like. Uh, I like a nice low bar that's easy to step over, but uh, you you have raised the bar. Um, before we just start idly chatting, um, I want to talk about something that I get asked a lot, because as, as you said, Mark, I'm primarily a keynote speaker. And so often at the National Speakers Association at other events, people come up to me and say, Bill, how can I become a keynoter too? And I know that for a lot of authors, indie book authors, for example, um, that's a goal as well. Everybody, everybody wants to be the keynoter. So how do you do that? Because see, uh, people get it wrong a lot. So what I want to talk about is something that I call how to turn great content into a great keynote. Because everybody here has great content. I mean, if you're part of the indie books family, you've got great content already. That doesn't mean you necessarily have a great keynote. You have the building blocks of a great keynote. So let's start talking about this a little bit. First of all, why, why the keynote slot? Why does everybody want to be the keynote slot? Okay, let me uh, restart that little slide. For those of you just listening to this, don't worry about, about the slides. Let me try it again. I promise you it was working before this. There we go. Why keynote? Why do people want to be the keynoter? Well, there are a few reasons here. Uh, first of all, there's the glamour. I mean, the keynote slot is glamorous. People like that. There's the prestige that comes with being the keynoter. There's, there's the influence. The keynoter has more influence. You're speaking to everybody there, so you get more influence. Rock star status. I mean, the keynoter is the rock star. Not just the rock star. The keynoter is the lead singer, not just the drummer or the bass player. And by the way, I play both drums and bass, so don't bother writing me letters. The keynote, that's... That's the lead singer. That's that's the real rock star. And then, of course, there is the money. The keynote slot tends to get money. Mark talked about, you know, $10,000, $15,000, $20,000 speaking fees for keynote. That's doable. Now, that doesn't mean that you necessarily have to be keynoting for a fee. You can also keynote to promote your book. You can also keynote to promote your coaching, your consulting, your mentoring. But still, that all leads to money. And so the keynote tends to be kind of the money slot. Okay, so why does the keynote, why does the keynoter have the glamour, the prestige, the influence, the rock star status? Why does the keynoter get all the money? It's because of this, because there's more pressure on the keynoter. There's a lot of pressure on the keynoter. As my friend and fellow keynoter Kelly Swanson once said, she said, a keynote has a higher audience expectation than the workshop held on the fourth floor after lunch you know, the breakout session, whatever. When you're the keynoter, when you're the keynoter, there's more expected of you. There's more expected from the meeting planner. There's more expected from the audience. So here's the big mistake that I see a lot of content people make, whether you're an author, a coach, a consultant, a trainer, um, 
and I think I'll just group them all into the word trainer for now, just to make it easy, but it, it encapsulates all those other forms of content that you may have. Um, the big mistake I see trainers making is they think, okay, well, I've got, I've got a three-hour training program, or I've got a you know, 160-page book, uh, or I've got this great 90-day you know, consulting program, and I've been hired to do a keynote slot. I'll just do an hour's worth, or I'll condense it all into an hour, and that'll be my keynote. And that's the mistake everybody makes, because you don't understand exactly what a keynote is. Here's the key that you need to know. A keynote is not just a shorter training. A keynote is a different animal. It's not just a shorter training. Here's the distinction. Training is about how. A keynote is about why. Now, what do I mean by that? At the end of a training, you want the audience to be saying, I know how to do something now that I didn't know how to do three hours ago, three days ago, three months ago. I, had, I now have a skill that I didn't have before. That's the goal of a training or possibly a book or coaching or consulting. I know how to do something now. At the end of a keynote, you want your people saying, hang on a second, let me just get out of this. I'll go back here so you can watch me fumble with this. Okay, you know what? There, that just, uh, my, my other computer froze, so I'm just going to go on. At the end of a training, you want people saying, I know how to do something I didn't know how to do before. At the end of a keynote, you want people saying, holy crap, this is important. I had no idea. This is costing us money now. This is, you know, I need to do something about this now. Or to put it another way, my eyes have been opened and I see the light. Does that make sense? Yes, you want to give a few takeaways. You want to give a few things that they can talk about, but uh, or a, a few skills that they can take on, but that's not the ultimate goal of a keynote. The keynote's goal really is about making them aware of a problem of which they were previously unaware. And this is where it's great for trainers and authors and consultants and coaches because you make them aware of a problem and they go, oh, wow, this is a bigger problem than I thought it was. And then after your keynote, they're going to come up to you and say, um, I had no idea this was that important. Can you help me with that? Why, yes, yes, I can. I, in fact, I wrote a book about it. I've got a coaching program about it. I consult about that. Whereas if you give them all the how-to in the keynote, there's no reason for them to come up to you afterwards and go, excuse me, can you help me any further? Does that make sense? So there are a few things. I'm going to refer to my notes since, since uh, oh, wait, the slides might be working now. This will be cool. This will be cool. Here we go. End of training. See, now, now Mark is regretting saying that Bill is one of the best. So, okay, let's talk about the differences, some of the differences between a training and a keynote. As we've already talked about, a training is about how, a keynote is about why. A training tends to be long form, you know, a few hours to a few months to whatever. A keynote is short form. We're talking like 45 minutes to an hour. In fact, I, more and more recently, I've been getting booked for like, you know, 30 to 40 minute keynotes. You still get you still get a sixty minute keynote every now and then. Every now and then you get a ninety minute keynote, which is to me too much. But still, keynotes tend to be short form. In fact, Mark LeBlanc delivered the shortest and most memorable keynote in National Speakers Association history. His entire keynote was two words long. Maybe he'll tell us about that. A training that focuses on techniques. Again, the how to. Keynote that focuses on stories. Stories are vital. To a keynote. Henry's got some great techniques about stories. Uh, another member of the Indie Books family, Michael Haig, is the best in the world at stories. So if you need to, to develop your storytelling craft, uh, you are in the absolute right place. Training is all about skill transfer. Keynote is about emotional transfer. Training, they do the work. You're teaching them something and having them do it. Keynote, you're doing the work. I mean, yeah, it's a dialogue, it's about them and everything, but but the spotlight's on you. You're the one up there doing the sweat. With the training, the audience expects to be educated. With a keynote, the audience expects to be entertained and or motivated. So you, you can see why just making, you know, saying, well, I'll just do an hour training, it's not, it's not going to cover these bases, right? Makes sense? A training tends to be head-oriented. Again, here's the how. Keynote is about heart-oriented. Again, the emotional transfer. And finally, with training, it's a classroom. 
with a keynote, it's a show. It's a show. The audience is expecting a show. So how do you do that? Okay, how do you do that? How do you, how do you turn your content into a keynote? Because you can do it. So here are the steps that you need to go through. First off, you need to ask yourself, what's the big deal? What do I mean by that? The key question, why is what you talk about important? Because again, that's the whole point you're trying to get across in your keynote, why this is important. What can you say in your keynote that will make them think, this is more important than I realized, we need to deal with this now. Do some work and think about that, and here's what I would suggest. See, most of us get really close to our content and our topic, and we, we think, well, yes, it is the most important thing in the world. But can you convince somebody else it's the most important thing in the world? Here's what I would suggest you do at some point. Get together with a buddy. It could be one of the Indie Books buddies, somebody else on this, on this uh, podcast, some, somebody else on the call, somebody else that, it doesn't matter, but just somebody. And your job is to, in as few words as possible, explain to them why what you talk about is vitally important. Their job is to be brutally, but diplomatically, honest with you. So if you're the recipient, and one of your pals says, hey, let me run this by you. Here's why I think what I do is important, and it's not really clicking for you, you've got to tell them. Because it doesn't do that. Look, we all tend to be nice. We go, oh, yeah, oh, oh that's, that, that, that's really good. And meanwhile, we, we vomit a little bit inside, right? You know. But that's, that doesn't help them at all, because now you're sending them out into the world to deliver a message that nobody cares about. Because here's the thing, nobody cares about your message unless you make them care. So if you, if you give your why, your what's the big deal to a friend and they say, I'm not seeing it, that's on you. You've got to keep working it. Why is this important? Because wouldn't you rather find out that your why is not compelling in front of a friend than in front of 300 people sitting there with their arms crossed wondering why they're listening to you? So make sure you're able to do that. Okay, the next thing you do, once you, once you do that, is a step that I call, yes, ma'am. Now, what does that mean? What's, what's, what's the M-A-M there? The M-A-M is what I call your month after message. Because here's the thing. After you're done speaking, nobody's going to remember what you talk about. The evidence shows that an hour after you're done speaking, they've already forgotten at least 50% of what you talk about. A month after, they're probably not going to remember anything. The key question here is, what is your month after message? What's the one thing that you want them to remember? What's the one single, simple thing that you want them to remember one month after your keynote? Because here's the thing. At, at best, they'll only remember one thing. And my question to you is, do you want them to choose that thing or do you want to choose that thing? My assertion is it should be up to you. You're the keynoter. You're the one who should figure out what's my most important message. What is the most important thing that they can remember. Um, and it can almost not be too simple. So this should not be your, your, your 18, step, 18 steps toward happiness using the convenient acronym, acronym pharmaceuticals. The P stands for, they're not gonna remember that. It's not gonna happen. Even your five steps, they're not gonna remember it. Uh, Mark, you and I were talking earlier, and, and you know about this, um, the second most memorable keynote probably ever given on the NSA stage was a few years before your convention in 2008 uh, by a friend of ours named Joe Calloway. So, Mark, we did not plan this out. Do you remember what the month after message of his famous speech was? Uh, yes, I do, Bill. Uh, this message was let it go. Exactly. Let it go. How simple is that? Three words. One more than Mark needed, but still... Three words, let it go. And people to this day still talk about that keynote. It happened, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Not 20, but you know, a long time ago. We're talking about a month after message. People still remember let it go. Now, if you say, well, what else was in the keynote? They probably couldn't tell you anything because it was all about that one single message. You know, let it go. Clear up your life. Things like, you know, all, all that kind of thing. So try and crystallize your message to that. Again, the one single simple thing that you can do. Um, one of my friends and colleagues, Randy Gage, says this. He says, a keynote 
is one note. One note. One overriding message looked at in several ways. So those several ways now take us into the meat of your keynote, which is the structure, your keynote structure. And that's the third thing you need to focus on, your keynote structure. Key question here, what are your three main points? Now, does it have to be three? Could it be two? Could it be four? Could it be five? Yeah, it could, but three works. In Western culture, we're kind of, we're kind of hardwired uh, to remember things in threes, to categorize things in threes. So if you use this structure, this will work for you. What are your three main points? How can you look at your, your month after message through three different points of view? I'll give you some examples just to kind of give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Uh, you can use a sequential uh, uh, structure. This is where we were. This is where we are now. This is where we can be or will be in the future. Point one, point two, point three. Make sense? Following so far? Uh, you can do problem-solution. Here's the problem. That's your first point. Second point, here's what it's costing us. Here's what the cost is. Third point, here's the solution. Okay, it's a nice three-act three structure to a keynote. Complex to simple. Here's the problem. Here's one way, the complex way, that we could solve it. Or, point, point three, here's a better way, the simple way, that we should solve it. One more example, homing in. Here's how it affects the industry. Here's how it affects the company. Here's how it affects you. So those are just some ways to do it. So when you think of your keynote structure, here are kind of the steps to a keynote. If you're visually oriented, think of it like, a, like one of those small Tootsie Rolls turned on its side. Uh, the first part of the keynote is your open. And I like to open with a story. You could also open with a question, a compelling fact, something that's gonna you know, knock their shoes off or surprise them. But you're open, and then you go into point one, and then you go into point two, and then you go into point three, and then you go into your close. Now we'll talk about timing for these in just a second. But when you think about point one, point two, and point three, here's something else I want you to think about. What anchor can you use to anchor that point, to anchor point one, to anchor point two, to anchor point three. What do I mean by anchor? I mean, what, what is the piece, the memorable piece that you're gonna build into that point that the audience is gonna go, ooh, that's cool. Maybe it's a great story, like a, re like a really fabulous story to exemplify point one. Frankly, they can all three be stories if you're, if you're really great at storytelling. You can have a great killer story for point one, a great killer story for point two, a great killer story for point three. Maybe one of them is an audience activity. You bring members of the audience up on stage and you do something which demonstrates that point. Uh, maybe if you're like my friend Dan Thurman, who's a juggler and acrobat, you do a, an insanely complicated juggling routine that somehow exemplifies that point. But what's, what is something that you can bring in? If you're uh, Janice Stanfield, another friend of mine who's got a gorgeous voice, a great songwriter, maybe it's a great song if you can sing. And by the way, when I say if you can sing, I mean if other people have told you that you can sing. We've all seen that mistake happen, right? But just figure, okay, you know, I know what my month after message is. Here are the three points I want to make around that and supporting that month after message. And here's my anchor for point one. Here's my anchor for point two. Here's my anchor for point three. So going back to the month after message, when do you bring that in? Um, oh, well, first of all, let's talk about the timing. The open, and this is, I'm going to give you sample timings, and this is for a 60-minute keynote. But the ratios stay the same. And again, this isn't carved in stone, but this is a good model that will work for you. Your open will be about 10 minutes. Each of your three points will be about 15 minutes. 15 minutes for point one, 15 minutes for point two, 15 minutes for point three. This makes it a lot easier to write a speech. Because you don't think, oh man, I've got to write a 60-minute speech. You think, no, here's point two. I need 15 minutes. Okay, I've got this story. That's going to take up six minutes or whatever. And then your close is roughly five minutes. And we talk about the month after message, you know, the let it go from Joe Calloway. 
you want to reiterate that throughout the speech because that's what makes it memorable. That's why people will go away remembering it. And a gr great places to put that in is right when you go from the open into point one during that transition, insert your month after message. And right when you go from point three and you're about to wrap it up and go into the close, that's another great place for the month after message. Also, at the end of the other two points, at the end of point one, at the end of point two. And ideally, you'll say it with the exact same languaging, because that's what people will remember if you use the exact same languaging. That's your keynote structure. That's your basic keynote structure. And again, it's all about why, why is this important, and what's the one simple, single simple month after message that you want to wrap this whole keynote around. Last thing I'll leave you with before we start the, uh, the open chat is this, and this is important, and I didn't really get this at first, and I'm still learning it more and more. It's this, keynoting is a responsibility. It's a responsibility. When they give us a microphone, they're also giving us their trust. When a meeting planner trusts you with a microphone, they're also entrusting you with their audience and with their reputation. That's a high calling and that's a high responsibility. But if you meet that, if you figure out how to do a keynote, not just a short training, but a keynote that the audience talks about and remembers and is excited about and feels compelled to take some sort of action, which could be hiring you, that's when you will get to the point where you too can have the glamour, the prestige, the influence, the rock star status, and yes, the money. That's it. All right, Bill, Questions, thank comments, you. Everybody critique. give it up for, for, everybody give it up for Bill for this part uh, of our interview. And uh, thank you so much, Bill, uh, for joining us and sharing your, your wisdom, your insights, a strategy or two, your ideas on uh, how to be a better keynoter. I've got a couple of questions for you. And prior yeah, to- Yeah, this is the part I'm dreading. I want to go back, circle back to something that you referred to so that our listeners are not left in the dark. Um, it is true that in 2007, 2008, I served as president of the National Speakers Association uh, that year, my term of service. And uh, we were in New York City at the Marriott Marquis. And Bill, to this it, date, the most, the, the most highly attended National Speakers Association convention in history. And certainly our favorite yeah. uh, uh, of all time. Yeah, um, yeah. But you, instead of the typical or the obligatory, the president walks out on stage and says, hey, thank you everyone for joining us uh, for this convention. You've come from far and wide and it's going right. to be a great experience and blah, 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 blah. Right. Uh, as most mere mortal presidents uh, do, um, I'm anything, I was anything but a mere mortal president. And our theme that year was NSA rocks. And we had legitimate A-list rock stars on our stage uh, in New York City. And um, instead of coming out with the typical uh, welcome, I came out to uh, the, the music from Risky Business and the Tom Cruise scene where I slid out and the audience, over 2,000 people went crazy, didn't really know it was me. Uh, hardly anybody had ever seen me without uh, a tie on, let alone without pants um, and in socks. You, you committed to the bit. I committed to the bit. Really and, committed to the bit. Um, I slid out, turned around and said, NSA rocks. It was the shortest speech, two words, in the history of the National Speakers Association. I doubt there will ever be a shorter one uh, than that. And uh, I doubt it. Is, it. But it also become... got the best response of any presidential speech in history. And Thule, I'm so sorry. Yeah, that, 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 well, oh, wait, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm conflicting or I'm, I'm conflating our local chapter speeches because Thule and I have both been presidents of our local chapter. Ah. And so I was thinking presidential speeches and some, so... Uh, but on a national level, Marx, yeah, there's, I mean, 
you are you were a rock star. You were absolutely a rock the rock star. You were the rock star. Well, uh, thank you, Bill. And um, your point that the keynoter, uh, uh, the keynote, you have a responsibility, and you had a responsibility for that uh, convention. Uh, because you were my selection and my team's selection to be our opening keynote speaker. Right. <clears throat> and you served it up masterfully. And uh, I don't know if you remember this, but I do. Um, it was Saturday, August 2nd, uh, at approximately okay. 7.17 Eastern Standard Time, uh, Marriott Marquis Ballroom, Times Square, when you delivered uh, a keynote for the ages. And I remember you didn't, you and I did not talk about this in preparation for this interview, but your month after message, which is now 13 years after message, your singular message of that presentation was shake it up. It was shake it up. Yep. And could you just if you could go back to your preparation for that speech, uh, what were you thinking about? What were you planning? Um, you also came out on stage in a very creative way. And I'd like you to, to, to share a little bit about that yeah. iconic keynote speech. Sure. Well, talk about high bars. I mean, this is the National Speakers Association. These are, these are our colleagues and peers. And at that time, I wasn't I mean, I think I was somewhat known, but certainly not as much as I've been now because it's been, you know, a, a few more years. So, um, it, you know, you you really you really want to do a good job. Look, you always want to do a good job, but here especially. And Mark gave me a huge gift with his theme of NSA rocks. And as Mark said earlier, um, I'm a Beatles guy. Uh, I know a lot about them. I've been a musician all my life. Um, so... I kind of focused on that, shake it up. And the Beatles certainly shook it up. And one of their most famous songs, which oddly enough, they did not write, but the, the chorus is shake it up, shake it up, baby. It's twist and shout. So um, what I decided to do was we actually hired a Beatles tribute band, one of the top Beatles tribute bands in the country. Um, and so here's how, here's, here's how the keynote opened. Um, I think it was... Eric Chester, who was the, um, the, the uh, chair of the convention. Mark, Mark was the president. Eric was his chair for the convention. Eric came in and said something about, you know, and NSA rocks, and certainly there have been some, you know, some amazing moments in rock and roll history, but possibly none more memorable than this. And he tosses to the video of Ed Sullivan saying, you know, yesterday and today, well, ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles, I mean, and the curtain is down. And all of a sudden, the audience hears da 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 da. The opening chords of "I Want to Hold Your Hand" being played live, and the audience goes crazy. And the curtains open, and there are the Beatles. It's this Beatles tribute band dressed like the Beatles, playing "I Want to Hold Your Hand." And the band, you know, finishes "I Want to Hold Your Hand," and the audience standing ovations. It's like, wow, that was fantastic. At that point, the drummer, you know, the Ringo of the band, stands up, <clears throat> walks away from the drum set walks to the center stage, pulls off his wig and his shirt, because it's a breakaway shirt, so there's just a t-shirt underneath. He was wearing, you know, black, uh, you know, the, the, the Ed Sullivan look shirt. <clears throat> and it's me. And I start my speech. So I was, I was the drummer uh, for, for that Beatles band. And then I brought it back home at the end by, again, keep reiterating, shake it up, shake it up, shake it up. So anybody who knows anything about the Beatles, they're like, wish we could hear that song. So at the end, as I'm saying my last lines, I'm walking back to the drum set. And I forget exactly what I said, but something about, just remember, you got to shake it up. Two, three, four. And then we did Twist and Shout. And that was the end. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was really cool. It, <laughs> yeah, was, it, was, it, was it was more than cool, Bill. It was iconic. Um, and you were the mastermind behind that. And the biggest... Um, the biggest frustration, our negative comments we got from that experience was was the the tribute band wanted to play more. They right. wanted to put on a concert, 
And, and almost 2,100 people were going crazy, including my mother dancing uh, in the front row uh, to the, I wanna hold your hand. But uh, it, was, um, it was just one of the greatest uh, evenings uh, of my career. And thank yeah, you yeah. for accepting that, that challenge and that responsibility, responsibility because you knocked it out of the park. Oh, thanks. There were so many times between saying yes and that actual night that I hated you and hated you for even suggesting me. Because um, <clears throat> again, it's a lot of a lot of effort. I do remember the thing being I was most nervous about. One, because rehearsal time is very tight at NSA conventions. There are a lot of moving parts. I was allowed to rehearse one song with the band one time. So the question is, do I want to rehearse the opening song or the closing song? So I rehearsed I Want to Hold Your Hand with them one time. Twist and Shout, when I played it in front of those 2,100 people, that was the first time I'd ever played it with that band. I'd never met the band before. So that was the first time we ever played it. The thing I was most worried about, though, was the breakaway shirt. I had one of those um, Countryman mics, and it's all wired inside. I was afraid when I ripped the shirt off, I was also going to, you know, hurl the microphone off the side of the stage. But fortunately, that that didn't happen. Well, it's, 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 it's so weird. I mean, it, any of you who have spoken, and, and probably most of you uh, here have, have spoken in front of an audience at some point, isn't it amazing that you're giving it all for the audience, but there's there's this voice in the back of your head, this kind of monitoring you saying, oh, okay, this doesn't seem to be you know resonating. Ooh, ooh, they like that. They like that part. And, oh, you're getting to the difficult part now. I hope you remember those words. You know, like, okay, now you've got to say the president of the association's name. Do you remember? Is it Frank? Is it Phil? What's the name? Is it Phyllis? You know, so, um, yeah, it is amazing when you're, all, all the things that are going on. You know, your, your point... Uh, is uh, uh, well taken when you talk about trainers and consultants and coaches who have this dream to be uh, a keynote speaker and they think that a keynote speech is just a short training or it's a, a group coaching session and they all dream about wanting to be uh, in that spotlight. <clears throat> what would you what would you say to that? trainer, consultant type, um, because I hear it all the time. Yeah, I'll bet you do. Uh, yeah. Mark, you just put me on stage. I'm going to be fine. Right. What do you say to that person to kind of break their, to interrupt their thinking, to help them understand that, to your phrase earlier, the keynote is a different animal in the zoo? It is a different animal in the zoo. And again, remember, you've got that responsibility. It's, see, here's, here's the dilemma that we face as keynoters and as good keynoters, and Mark, you're also one of the best. I mean, people think of you as a, as a trainer and a coach and a consultant, and you are all those things. You're also a world-class keynoter. Um, <clears throat> the problem is, when you're a world-class keynoter, just like if you're a world-class musician, uh, you make it look easy. And like if you're a world, like if, if you're a concert pianist, very few people are going to look and go, oh, that's, yeah, I can do that. Because that's, we know that that's a difficult skill. But a keynoter, we're just up there, we're, we're telling stories. We're getting, it looks like we're having a blast. We are, but that's because we've really worked mm -hmm. at it. We mm -hmm. make it look easy. There's a craft to it. You're taking the audience on a journey. Okay, they're laughing here, but now we're going to bring them down into the depths. But I've got to release them from the depths so I get better build a laugh in there. And... Um, you know, what do you do if something does go wrong? What do you do? I mean, all these things that we know, plus how do you get the speech in the first place? How do you market? Um, a lot of people say, look, the job is not doing the speech. The job is getting the speech. There, this, it's, this is a tough business. It's not an easy business. I mean, even without a global pandemic that shuts down the entire industry for a year and a half, uh, now going into two years, perhaps. Um, this is not an easy job. We make it look easy because that's our job. And people look and go like, well, yeah, I can speak. I can put words together. There's, there's a lot more to it than that. It's just like when you go to a comedy club and you see a comedian who makes it look easy, like a Jerry Seinfeld or somebody like that, and you think, well, I can do that. So you sign up for an open mic and you get up there and you do your three minutes and nobody laughs. And you go, what? But, but, but my friends all think I'm funny. That's a whole different thing. It's really easy to be, you know, to be funny with your friends when you're all having a couple of beers on the back deck. It's a lot tougher when you've got a bunch of people sitting in an audience who are demanding it and expecting it. 
And in the case of a keynote, if it's a corporate job, they may not even might not even want to be there necessarily. If it's a convention, if it's an association convention, yeah, they, they probably they probably do want to be there. But if it's if it's the annual corporate meeting, you know, they they might be anywhere from indifferent to hostile. Okay, well, welcome to the well, welcome to the big time, folks. Yeah, I I was one of those for the better part of two decades that thought I could just do a short content rich session and it was you it was tim guard it was haley foster it was eleni kalakos yeah. who just in the last five six seven years have really turned me around uh in working on uh the keynote and my singular yeah. single focus message is you can always take one more step um yeah. based exactly. on one of the stories uh from the camino um, and do you see every, everybody else listening to it, do you hear how simple that is? I mean, Mark's got these amazing stories. He's done the Camino like 15 times. It's a 500-mile walk. And Mark just keeps doing it because he was dropped on his head as an infant. But still, and he's written a great book about it and everything. But so he, he's got all these experiences and he creates these rich stories and all that. But it all comes down to one thing, the one month after message, you can always take one more step. So a month from now, or two months from now, or a year from now, when people are going through a tough time in their life, they're not going to remember anything else Mark says, except they might remember, oh, that guy, don't remember his name. Yeah, you know what he said? I, you can always take one more step. That's sticky. Yeah. That's going to work. So when you're thinking about your month after message, think about the simplicity of that. That's what you're shooting for. That's, that's a perfect one. And it took me a long time to understand that that was the message. Yeah. Um, yeah, so sometimes... we get so close to it. We get so close to it. And here, here's the cool thing. When you finally come up with it, it seems so obvious. Mm -hmm. And that, again, is why it looks easy. Why somebody else will look at it, well, you can always take one more step. Yeah, come on, duh, that's obvious. But to come up with that, but to, there's, there, there's a phrase that says, simplicity on this side, simplicity on the front side of complexity is worthless. Simplicity on the back side of complexity is priceless. Mm. So, Mark, you take the through. It's like if, if you came out and, ju and just said, you can always take one more step. Thank you very much. People go like, well, that wasn't worth the money. But you take them on this amazing journey filled with hardship. And not, not just about the Camino. I'm sure you're taking through all kinds of pain points and things that have happened in, in your world and then transferring it to their world, which is another skill set of a good keynoter, uh, to do what Max Dixon calls the transferable metaphor. So they go, oh, this is about me too. So you take them through all that journey and then remind them again at the very end. You, you, you've sprinkled it throughout, but remind them again, you can always take one more step. Now it's profound. I mean, the golden rule is pretty darn easy. Do unto others as you would have do unto yourself, whatever it is. Um, it's pretty easy, but in the right context, man, is it profound. The best messages. Let it go. Shake it up. You can always take one more step. Those are profound as long as you take the audience through that journey first. Um, Bill, would you, uh, I know my answer uh, to this question, but I want to uh, ask you, do, do you think um, that's where somebody should start is what is that single message and then make that the bullseye and build your three points or you know, make it the hub of a wheel with many spokes or however you're yeah. going to drive that. Yeah, absolutely. And I wish I had learned that earlier. Once you figure out what that is, and again, it all comes back to you. Why is this important? And all that, you know. And then if let's say you're going to write your speech on your, on your computer, write that month after message. Once you have it figured out, or even if you think, okay, this is, I think it's going to be this. Maybe it's not quite, you know, maybe I'll reword it. Cause it, you know, it might change as you, as you work on the speech, you might go, Oh, you know what it really is? But put that on a post-it and stick it up on, on your computer. Yeah. So it's always there because everything has to flow from that. The entire speech, the entire keynote, whether it's 10 minutes for like a, a TED talk or an hour or whatever, it should seem organic. It should seem like this is all of one piece. Remember what Randy Gage said, a keynote is one note. It's not a bunch of, oh, oh, and here's a story. Oh, and here's a, here's a story. Here's, you know. It's all got to come together and tie together so the audience, the audience may not know 
where you're going to be taking them, but they have to feel like, oh, there's a roadmap, and he or she knows what it is. Mm -hmm. And they're taking me on a great journey. Now, in the right circumstances, depending on the audience, depending on how large it is, can you see them, you know, how formal or informal it is, yeah, you may take a detour here or there. But you can do that because you know what the destination is. That's, that's, that's what your month after message is. That's what you're, you can always take one more step is you know that's the destination. So the, the roadmap, once you, if you know that destination, you, you can look at the map and go, oh, you know what, there are a lot of different ways I can get there. And that's, that's the fun of crafting a keynote. There are a lot of ways I can get there, but this is where I'm going. This is where I want to take the audience. When we're done, when we're through with this thing, this is where we all are. We're all going to end up in the same place, and there's not going to be any mistake. There's not going to be somebody thinking they're in Pittsburgh and somebody else thinking, no, I'm pretty sure this is Harrisburg. No, we all know it's Pittsburgh. See what I did there? Call back. Pittsburgh. There we go. Pittsburgh. Um, or Chris. Uh, Pittsburgh there. So um, it's, um, yeah, it all, it all comes down to that. Because the audience has to feel like you know what you're doing and you know, you know where you're taking them. Bill, I want to interrupt this interview um, just to share your website. Um, we want to put it in the chat box. Uh, your website, I believe, is BillStainton.com. It is, oddly enough. Mm -hmm. And um, we, we always put someone on the spot and ask them for a free gift. What do you have for us today, Bill Stainton? <sighs> yeah, really. And um, I was a little offended when you asked my free gift to be ice cream for everybody. That's I just, logistically, it's it's too difficult. So I'm not doing that. But I do have so my primary topic, as you talked about in in the introduction, is innovation, creativity, and breakthrough thinking. Innovation, coming up with innovative ideas, is a life skill. It's I call it the master key skill. If you can be mm -hmm. innovative, then that that sets you apart. From everybody else, and certainly as authors, you want to you want to set yourself apart as thinkers, as you know, thought leaders, as you want to be able to set yourself apart. So, how do you develop those innovative skills? What do you do when you need an idea and you need an idea fast? You know, maybe there's a challenge, or maybe there's an opportunity, and you want an idea fast. Well, I've got a cheat sheet. I've developed a cheat sheet. Uh, I call it turning creativity into money because that's my definition of innovation. Um, and the cheat sheet you can get it by going to BillStanton.com slash that's yeah right billstaten.com slash indie books indie books which you know you should be able to remember that because i mean this is indie books so there it is oh okay and it looks like it came up uh <laughs> chest sheet that's good suzanne yeah okay well uh what suzanne put into the chat of tcim's dash cheat dash sheet works also but if you just go billstaten.com slash indie books it'll take you to the exact same place. Either one works. Again, multiple ways to get to the same destination. You see how this all comes full circle? Yeah. Bill, I also want to put a little pin light or a little laser. You did an amazing TEDx talk a few years ago. We want to put oh, that no. link from YouTube into the chat box uh, as well. I encourage everyone who's watching this interview or anyone who's listening uh, to this uh, interview after today to make sure that they um, uh, go to YouTube or Google Bill Stanton and TEDx uh, talk and uh, watch the master in action. And I cannot impress upon you enough that sometimes we as keynote speakers or those who aspire to be keynote speakers um, are so close that we cannot see the key message or the key note in our body of expertise and our experiences. And so it's critical that you raise your hand and reach out for help uh, to Bill or somebody like Bill, uh, but no one accomplishes anything great alone. And um, Bill, do you have one parting tip, one more that you might share with our listeners and viewers today? Nope, that's it. That's it? Oh, okay. Let me see if I can come up with something. Um, a parting tip for, for um, aspiring keynoters. Um, yeah, this might not be sexy, but it, it's all about the structure. It all comes down to the structure. 
because the structure is what gives um, is what gives your audience security that that this is going to be a decent keynote. And again, keep in mind it's it's a show. I mean, a lot a lot of keynoters, especially like high content keynoters, they, they don't get that it's a show. But anybody listening to this, you know it's true. Because anytime you've been at any kind of uh, get-together where there's been a keynote speaker, you know what happens. We all do it. You walk into the, into the ballroom or the auditorium or the classroom or whatever it is, and you sit back and you wait for the show. And all you're hoping is, I hope it's going to be a good show. Hope the show doesn't suck. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it is a show. And the key ingredient to make sure the show is a good show is work on your storytelling. Stories are the building blocks of a great keynote. Mark's keynote is full of amazing stories, memorable stories, unforgettable stories. A great keynote is built on stories. And again, uh, indie books, you were in a great place. I, I, I think, uh, Mark, didn't, didn't you and Henry and somebody wrote a book that, that talks all about stories and of course you got Michael Haig also but I mean and, and Henry I know you've uh, done a lot of work into this about like the eight basic stories and everything's kind of an offshoot of those I mean I mean, you guys have really done the heavy lifting on this so anybody who's a part of the indie books community again you're in you're in the right place uh, now you have to do all you have to do is figure out okay what's my month after message what's my main message and what are the stories that will support that and take the audience on that journey Thank you, Bill. And Henry's book, uh, the title of Henry's book is Persuade uh, with a Story. That's it. And yeah, then yeah. he also is the co-author of Defining You, How Smart Professionals Craft the Answers to Who Are You, What Do You Do, and How Can You Help Me? And it has a, a special emphasis on defining story, defining paragraph, defining statement. And so I appreciate that. Bill, thank you so much. Uh, First, uh, for being with us today, uh, thank you for being my friend. Aww. And thank you for the good work that you are called and compelled to do. Um, it matters and uh, we are better for having uh, you with us today. Thank you. Thanks, Mark, I really appreciate that. And that's a wrap.